Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 150, and it's 13th of December, 2020. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Anything happening? Pretty exciting, Kirsty, because we're going back to the future. <laughs> yeah, like I forgot to do it because I'm so robotic and beholden to the script in the notes that I just couldn't reprogram my brain to say it. But our old opening used to be where we'd say that we were about to talk about the future of the saga. And we kind of dropped that because, according to them, episode nine was the end of the saga. And it's not like they've announced episode 10 or anything, so I don't want to get people's hopes up. But they have obviously just announced a whole ton of new projects that are, in some cases, taking Star Wars into the future. So, yeah, we have a lot to talk about. (laughs) That's my opener. How about you, Kirsty? How have you been? (laughs) A bit overwhelmed. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I was I was trying to keep up with the news that was coming out from the investors meeting, but it was just like this avalanche. Yeah. And I know it's like Disney is this big, huge company with lots of little companies that have lots of things going on. So it was just like, it was impossible to keep up. Yeah. So I just tried to focus on Star Wars. And there's a lot of things that I just haven't even had a chance to look at properly yet. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, when we first, they first said 10 new Star Wars projects, it was like, wow. But... Some of these we already knew about, so I think they kind of just wanted a big round number so that people would get excited about it. Yeah, exactly. And they have nice shiny new logos for a lot of them that we haven't seen before. That, that look good on yeah. projected onto a screen behind Kathleen Kennedy. <laughs> and clips from them as well, but um, some of them we didn't get to see because we're not important enough. Yeah, and they did show like a sizzle from Cassian, but as far as I can tell, it was purely behind the scenes saying like, oh, look at these amazing sets we're building. It's like a movie. Ooh. Is that right? That's what it was, right? I think so. I only watched it once. I definitely don't remember seeing any clips from the new TV show, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it was so much stuff that it almost made me feel a bit sick after a while. (laughs) Not in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. More in like a all the Cokes are the same and all the Cokes are good way. It was just like, okay, this is like delicious food, but um, I need to stop now. (laughs) Go and drink some water and maybe eat a salad. Yeah. No, I think it's definitely the sort of experience where you need to sort of detoxify after it. It's an awful lot to process. And yeah, I, I think we're still going to be processing it in this discussion because there's a lot of styles coming, kids. And yeah, I'm not sure we're ready for all of it, but we will see. It also just made me a bit sad because I was like, all of this stuff was probably, or at least a good chunk of it, was probably meant to be announced at Celebration this year. Yeah, that's and true. It, Disney Investors Day doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? It obviously has a different target audience. It does. Of course, we all tune in anyway and we get the news regardless. But, um, you know, they're not showing a lot of that footage to the fans. They're showing it to the people who want to get richer off of all this stuff. Exactly. Yeah, so we have a lot to get through and there's lots of potential ways we could approach this. But I think the way we'll do it is we'll basically go through an anticipation ranking We'll start with mine as the basic skeleton. Like Kirsty and I aren't exactly in alignment on everything. So obviously Kirsty will also share like how she ranks things and how they compare to my rankings. But yeah, we'll go from least anticipated, in my humble opinion, <laughs> to most anticipated, in my humble opinion. Um, and yeah, I think Kirsty and I have the same general list. There are some differences, but I don't think there's like any major dissimilarities. Is that fair, Kirsty? 
Well, I don't really have a list. <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've been lazy. And I also, I just, you know, there's such a, a variety of like how much we know about certain projects versus nothing about others. Sure. Um, so I'll just kind of give my two cents as you go through yours. Maybe. Yeah. No, that works. Okay. So for me personally, the one I'm anticipating the least is the Bad Batch. And I don't like have any animosity towards the Bad Batch. I'd say it's like perfect indifference. And that's because for me, like I'm not the biggest Star Wars animation person. I really enjoy Resistance. So I make an exception for Resistance. But I still have yet to see Clone Wars or Rebels. And the Bad Batch, as far as I understand, it's very much about taking some of the trooper characters from the Clone Wars and telling a story about them. And I'm just not a fan of the troopers, basically. I'm not invested in that aspect of Star Wars. So I'm sure it will be like a really solid, good show in its own right. It's just not for me, and that's okay. But yeah, Kirsty, tell us how you feel about it. Um, I was broadly on the same page like I'm not invested in the troopers as characters but I still think they could show they could tell a decent story there I just don't know where they're going with it sure yep but the clip that they showed made it look like Fennec Shand might be in it yes I'd be really shocked if that isn't Fennec at this point I feel like that would yeah. be a real like bait and switch that that worked on me <laughs> it piqued my interest <laughs> so uh, we'll see I'll check it out my mind is open the thing is we got to remember is that while it's like this is a huge amount of stuff to be announced all at once. It's all going to come out at different times. Yes. Right? Of course. So if there's nothing else fresh out there, who's to say? You might change your mind. You might be like, okay, I'll check out the Bad Batch. (laughs) Exactly. And I want to stress that just by having this anticipation ranking, I'm not saying I'm completely closed off to like watching the things towards the bottom of this list. I imagine I'll give most of this stuff a chance. It's just there's stuff that appeals to me more strongly than other stuff basically so yeah i hope that anyone who's really excited about the bad batch and loves the troopers doesn't feel too hurt basically by my personal indifference because yeah like it's not about them being bad characters or anything it's just about what appeals to me personally i'm sure it'll be a really great show on its own terms the next thing that we want to talk about um so and the one up from the bad batch for me is a droid story could you read out the description of a droid story? So I feel like it was one of the few things where we really didn't know anything about it prior, Kirsty. As Lucasfilm continues to develop new stories, the intersection of animation and visual effects offers new opportunities to explore. Lucasfilm Animation will be teaming up with Lucasfilm's visual effects team, ILM, to develop a special Star Wars adventure for Disney+, Plus, a droid story. The epic journey will introduce us to a new hero guided by legendary duo R2-D2 and C-3PO. Did they say if the new hero is another droid? They didn't. Well, I I don't think they did. Okay. So I was like, oh, who's this going to be? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I wonder where it will happen in the timeline. <laughs> so many possibilities. And yeah, like I'm sure this will be really cute. And I think there's also potential for there to be really interesting stuff going on with the technology. Like with them talking about like combining the Lucasfilm animation team with the team at ILM, I'm sure there will be like a really cool visual aesthetic to this show because of that. Um, but yeah, again, they they'll really need to sell me on this because as it stands, I'm not super interested. But that's okay. So I think another really important thing to say about this is that there's going to be a really huge pool of content that's coming out in terms of new Star Wars stuff that we're getting. 
And I don't think anyone is going to be expected to watch it all or even like it all. You know, I think my personal feeling is that they're going very broad in terms of what they're offering. So that hopefully, even if someone doesn't like one particular project, there will be another project that they do like and they do respond to. And I'm cool with that model. And as part of that, I accept that I'm not going to love everything they put out. Yeah. How do you feel about this particular thing, Kirsty? And also just like the diversity of the different projects they're putting out there? No, I agree with you. And I think if anyone is feeling a bit overwhelmed like I was initially you do just kind of have to remind yourself it's not like you have to keep up with everything and hopefully all of these shows are going to have strong points of view and an emphasis on their storytelling that will appeal to some people over others because that is how it should be I prefer things that even if they don't appeal to me I can see that they strongly appeal to other people and I can see why yeah like there's just a, a strong creative vision behind them and something that the artist really wants to say, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think there's just a better chance of that with more things coming out like this. Um, I love the droids, so I'm kind of looking forward to this one. Cool. I don't expect it to be a favourite, but um, yeah, I love the droids. I, I, I would have definitely watched like an Ewok show if they'd come out with something <laughs> like that as well. Yes. Yeah, I, I like the kind of background characters a bit more like that so yeah they could bring back princess nessa from the ewoks cartoon in the 80s that would be wonderful (laughs) i would watch that just give her her own show that would be awesome at first when they said they they were doing this i thought they were talking about droids like the cartoon oh wow like the 80s cartoon yeah i was like oh cool they're gonna finally put that out i can check that out (laughs) nice no (laughs) something new Yeah, I am still waiting for them to put the Ewok movies on Disney+. Plus. I'm like, come on, guys. Maybe they will once there's more stuff up. I think for now, they're like, we don't really want that representing Star Wars. But if uh, if there's a ton of other things up, maybe they'll feel safer doing that. Yeah. No, I really hope so. They can like give it its own little bunker, kind of, where say, please don't take this seriously, but here's some stuff they made a long time ago. Lols. <laughs> So (laughs) we're going to have a more controversial discussion now. I don't think controversial between us because I feel like we're both on the same page, Kirsty. But the next one on my list is Ahsoka. And this is one of the shows where I'm like the others. I'm kind of like good natured shrugging about this one. I'm like, oh, no. I know she's so many people's favorite character and I don't want to take that away from anyone. But I just wasn't impressed by how she was introduced in The Mandalorian. It didn't give me any desire to see more of that character or what she's doing right now. And yeah, I I just don't care. (laughs) How do you feel, Kirsty? I'm honestly really bummed Mm. because I want to be excited about an Ahsoka show. Yeah. Um, Because it's one of the few projects I've announced that seems like it will have like a force focus, which is one of my favourite aspects of Star Wars and I'm sure a lot of people's. Yeah. And I love animated Ahsoka. Um, I just, I can't get on board with this show for obvious reasons we've gone into over previous episodes. I just, I really don't feel good about it. And I'm disappointed about how everything has been handled. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't really have much more to say about it. Like, I'm just, I don't know. I feel really, like, I can't really enjoy that show, no matter what happens in it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm bummed. No, it's a shame. Um, it's also worth mentioning that this series will apparently be written by Dave Filoni 
and will be executive produced by Filoni and Favreau, um, as will the next show that we will be talking about. Um, and one thing I will say, and this is also going to sound a bit mean and controversial, but I'm kind of glad that Filoni and Favreau's energies are going to be wrapped up in this and the other show we're going to talk about. Because to me, that means that they most likely won't have any time to get involved with the other projects. And that to me is a good thing. Yeah, it kind of sounds like this is going to be their focus, right? The Mando Mando and its spin-offs. Yes, exactly. In a way, I think that's a really good thing. Because I don't think that Mando and these spin-offs are especially for me. There's lots of aspects of Mando that I like. And we're going to go into that with the discussion we're about to have about the latest episode. But there's other aspects of the show that I strongly dislike. And I kind of oppose these spin-offs on the fundamental nature of their premises. Kind of. Um, but that's okay if it means that that sort of style of Star Wars, the sort of style that Filoni and Favreau bring into Star Wars, is limited to that little bubble. Because then it will make it easier for me to ignore as we move forward. And I can focus on the other stories that are being told by different creators that will hopefully have very different flavours and be more to my tastes. I'm quite mixed on it because I completely see why it appeals to other people. Sure. Uh, it's just it's just not really for me. And I feel like I've got the gist of it for now. Like I've watched almost two full seasons of Mando and there are things that I enjoyed about it and um, things that I really don't. And I just feel like I've kind of, yeah, got the gist of what Favreau loves about Star Wars. I don't know. It, it could be that he comes out with these other series and really has something new and fresh to say. And mm. I'll kind of... I'll kind of see what happens with them and and what people are saying about them. And if something really does seem unexpected, maybe I will check it out. But otherwise, yeah, I'm looking forward to new creators coming in. Yeah. And also, you know, people like Taika who have been involved in Mando, but like just I feel stepped in and did something a little bolder. And I don't know, I, I trust them a little bit more. No, I think we're basically on the same page, essentially. It's like, I also want to take care to not completely write off Favreau and Filoni, because I agree with you in that they're talented people, you know, and they are, like, creative people. And I don't, like, think they're fundamentally bad storytellers. I just feel that there's a real tendency in The Mandalorian to be very indulgent, and there's, like, no checks and balances, kind of, on what they're doing sometimes. Yeah, I just I think certain creators have a, a a different emphasis where their their kind of default is to kind of look back and and mine what they loved about Star Wars in their childhoods and um, I don't know there's this real glaze of nostalgia to it and again it's not necessarily a bad thing that can be wrapped up in very interesting ways and I I do think there's the potential for what they're doing with Boba Fett to be really interesting but it remains to be seen. And I guess we didn't get the rumoured Boba Fett announcement. So we don't actually know if they're going to take that any deeper for now. So yeah, it's just kind of a case of looking at other things and being more interested in them. Exactly. Yeah, which I think goes back to what I was saying before about the good thing about this announcement, being that it seems like they're casting a wide net and trying to make lots of different types of shows. So they're not putting all their eggs in one basket, which I appreciate because... I think if they are going to milk the brand to this extent, diversity of storytelling and diversity of perspectives could not be more important, basically, because otherwise it's just going to become stagnant and there's going to be nothing new to say. So, yeah, like there's a reason basically why these are 
lower down on my list and even with all that said for me personally and I am just speaking for myself like not Kirsty here I probably will watch like the pilot episode for example to see if anything interesting is going on you know and if it intrigues me if it impresses me I'll probably keep on checking it out but I just don't have high hopes at this point without knowing anything about the show yeah, I think for me it would all depend on how Lucasfilm choose to conduct themselves. Mm. It's 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 not looking good for me. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> so. just plugging the ears and pretending like nothing happened. So yeah, it's not a great approach. I don't want to overstep here, but I, I do kind of want to point out to any cis people listening that that Vanity Fair article that came out like the week after, I guess it was only last week, right? When they, no been a couple weeks now yeah (laughs) sorry i'm losing track of time when they did the interview with rosario dawson and dave filoni i saw that article praised by so many cis people to be honest like that's kind of what i noticed Mm. um praising it for the fact that bresnikan asked rosario about the case and i'm just kind of wondering what people expected her to say other than deny that anything happened yeah because i saw it like I saw it spread so far as people being like, hooray, we got an answer. We can kind of put it to bed and enjoy the, the show. And I'm like, what? It's like, this is so clearly a puff piece designed to appease you and make you feel okay with watching the show. Mm, yeah. There's no substance here. There's nothing surprising. Of course, that's exactly what would be said. Yeah. No, and there's no acknowledgement of the power disparities in the situation. Basically, it needs a really frank analysis done through that lens of power, and yeah, that hasn't happened. So, put it in the context of them literally about to announce this new series with that person as the star. They're dating a sitting U.S. senator who ran for president last year. Like, come on, guys. I don't know. I've just I've been kind of disappointed with how the fandoms reacted to it. Honestly, yeah, it is disappointing. We can move on to another project starring potentially another person. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. But we'll we'll go into reasons. Um, Yeah, so we'll go into another project that has also potentially a lot of baggage, um, which is Rangers of the New Republic. Um, And this is set within the timeline of The Mandalorian. This new live action series from executive producers Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni will intersect with future stories and culminate into a climactic story event. So, yeah, I think these three shows, Ahsoka, Rangers of the New Republic and The Mandalorian... They're really taking an MCU-style approach, you know, where they're, like, mashing up characters and stuff, which, again, totally cool. They want to do that. Not my favourite type of storytelling, but whatever. But, yeah, just based on the title alone, I think it's very clear that we've been getting the seeds for this new show in the present season of The Mandalorian because there have been several references to the governance of the New Republic, Um, You know, like in the presence of the pilot characters, for example. And unfortunately, in the presence of Cara Dune as a marshal. (laughs) And I feel like at some point they were probably intending to make Cara a pretty integral part of this show. But I really, really hope that if they have any sense and, to be honest, any conscience, they will have changed those plans based on recent events and also just the evidence that Gina Carano cannot act I'm sorry I've been so mean this whole you're not being so mean it's the truth and who cares about being mean to her honestly thank I'm, you I'm sorry I I like to think of myself as a nice person 
but I don't feel bad about saying that she's a bad actress. Come on, we could say a lot worse about her. <laughs> yes, this is true. I just, it's really odd to me that they've actually announced this because, as you say, they've made a point of like not announcing anyone who's involved with it apart from Polony and Favreau themselves. So if if she was supposed to have like a a central role and now she doesn't, wouldn't they have to reconfigure the show quite a bit? Because you're not going to have that connection. I guess the connection will be those New Republic pilots that we've seen, one of them being Dave Filoni himself. So I'll be interested to see if he crops up again. Yeah, maybe that's Dave Filoni's bright new future. He's becoming an actor. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Follow your dreams, Dave. It's it's a shame because I am kind of interested in the politics at this time period. And I kind of wish we'd got more of that within the show itself. Maybe not from the perspective of like people who are essentially like traffic cops. I want to see what Leia's up to in this stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would much prefer like a political thriller set on Chandrilla, you know, like where she's got a young child and she's juggling like family commitments, political work. And yeah, so that whole process of like establishing a nascent democracy in the aftermath of a totalitarian regime. That's a fascinating story. And again, I'm making lots of assumptions based on just a title. But I could see a format where it's basically, we've got a call, there's a problem on this planet with an imperial remnant, let's go and investigate. Then they zoom off to a different planet each week. (laughs) It sounds so retro. (laughs) It's like Starsky and Hutch or something. I grew up watching a lot of retro TV, (laughs) Kirsty. Yeah, but that's the thing, it is like a Starsky and Hutch. Like, is there a demand for that stuff these days? Like, cop shows in 2020, really? It's a shame that we started at the the bottom of the rankings. I am excited about a lot of these announcements, guys. Trust me. We'll yeah, yeah. we will get there. I think I wanted to start off with the negativity so that we could get better and better as we went along. Um, although right now, based on the like nature of our commentary, I really feel I should have put the animated shows like after Ahsoka and Rangers of the New Republic. So for like our comments, there was so benign. <laughs> well, that's where I'm at. That's why my my rankings, even though I don't have them written down, I think I'm mentally that's just above them because I'm like, I have no ill feeling towards it. I'll check it out and see if it's for me. Yeah. Whereas if anything involves Gina Carano, I'm not watching. Sorry. <laughs> she, she's so bad. I don't want to write this entire show off. Yeah. It's just, it's very fishy to me that they, because they announced it with Ahsoka, right, as like, these are the Mando spinoffs, and yet they didn't have a name attached. And I was like, oh, that sounds like it was going to be her show, and now they're not quite sure. Yeah. Or they're waiting for somehow the controversy to die down. Like, maybe they've been talking to her behind the scenes and telling her to stop posting things. But it's not like a lot of us are going to just magically forget that that happened and that those things are her beliefs. So yeah. I also don't think Gina will stop, to be honest. I feel like she's very convinced she's right. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that show. Exactly. Um, because, yeah, like as Kirsty said, I don't think it's a fundamentally broken premise for a show. I think there is potential for that to be an interesting like, style of show, especially if they don't just do the format I described earlier where it's a different call out each week and you never actually get a sense of the governance <laughs> of the New Republic because that would be the most interesting thing. Um, but, yeah. Okay, so now we can move on to projects where, thankfully, I think we can both be much more positive. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) So yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I know that was a pretty painful, like, 20 minutes of, like, agony. (laughs) For better or worse, we always try to be honest. Yes. And as soon as those shows were announced, I was just like, I felt, honestly, I felt a bit sick when they said that those shows were happening. Mm -hmm. Like, I know there'd been rumours. 
but it's just it's disappointing to see where their priorities lie and you know who who in their fandom they value and and who they're just ready to ignore until it's convenient yeah. to do otherwise um so yeah i'm i'm not going to shy away from saying how i feel about that because that's important to me yeah no i i agree like i feel like we have this podcast we don't get any money for it it's our hobby we just do this for fun and I think the bare minimum we can do on that basis is be honest and be truthful about our feelings about these things. But yeah, so the next project we want to talk about, according to my list, in terms of my anticipations, is Andor. <laughs> so I'd say I'm mildly interested in Andor. Like, I'm not massively hyped because I wasn't like the biggest Rogue One fan in the world. And I'm not a huge Cassian fan. But I do think there's promise in the premise of the show. And I also think it's interesting that we have um, Tony Gilroy involved in the show again, because Tony Gilroy is the man who basically came in and rewrote Rogue One from the bottom up when it was not going well under the direction of the original director, Gareth Edwards. Gilroy, he famously said that he was not a Star Wars fan, which I remember upset a lot of people. And to be honest, I think it's quite refreshing to have the perspective of someone coming at it from that angle. Because for me, the main priority should be to tell good, interesting stories in the Star Wars universe. I don't necessarily need the people telling those stories to be massive Star Wars fans. And in some cases, I think that can actually be an impediment to telling good stories. So, yeah, I think there's reasons to be hopeful for this to be a really good spy thriller. Um, and yeah, they've also got a really great um, supporting cast. Stellan Skarsgård is in the supporting cast. Um, and you also have um, Genevieve O'Reilly back as Mom Mothma. Um, so yeah, lots of reasons to be hopeful, basically. H- how do you feel about Andor, Kirsty? Yeah, wasn't Fiona Shaw announced as well? Yes! Oh my god, how did I oh, ignore I Fiona Shaw? Her. She is so that talented. Is probably, yeah, she's great. Yeah, I am looking forward to this. I think Diego Luna is adorable and talented. And I'm intrigued by Cassian. Like, I I just think the hints of the backstory that we did get in Rogue One kind of paint the potential for a a really intriguing character. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I do wish they'd called it Cassian instead of Andor. (laughs) Yes. I feel like Cassian is much better known than his surname. Yeah, well, Andor is also very close to Endor. (laughs) I think a lot of people will be confused. They'd be like, oh, an Ewok show. Awesome. I just... (laughs) I'm just going to have to catch myself when I say it. No, I think it'll be good. And Diego Luna does seem to be genuinely excited. I think it says a lot that everyone has stuck with this through thick and thin. Because as with a lot of Star Wars, it hasn't been an easy development process. And there's been lots of different showrunners. And there have been scripts that have been thrown out. And all sorts of stuff going on. But they've stuck with it. And they clearly think they have a concept and scripts that justify this story being told. So, yeah, I'll definitely be checking this one out. Yeah, and I'm with you on the Tony Gilroy appreciation, because when he talks about it, he's like, I I didn't set out to make a Star Wars movie. I set out to make a decent war movie that happens to be in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't want Star Wars to be constrained by itself. Like, just, just tell a good story and the rest will follow, because if it's great and it resonates with people and they love it, then it will, over time, it will just kind of become part of the fabric of the Star Wars universe in their heads, you know? Yeah. And then the next one up for me is Kenobi. Um, Yes. So this is one we've known about for a long time because it's literally been going on for years. 
but we finally have a bit more information. And yeah, could you read out the description I've highlighted, Kirsty? Is it called Kenobi or is it Obi-Wan Kenobi? That's a good question. I think it is actually called Obi-Wan Kenobi. I was just referring to it as Kenobi as the shorthand. Okay, because I find that title interesting as well, because at this point he wouldn't be going by Obi-Wan, he'd be going by Ben. Yes, that's true. I guess it's some point into his true identity, Kirsty. <laughs> <laughs> Last August at D23 Expo, Lucasfilm announced the return of Ewan McGregor in the iconic role of Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi for a special event series on Disney+. Plus. Officially titled Obi-Wan Kenobi, well there we go, the series begins 10 years after the dramatic events of Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, where he faced his greatest defeat, the downfall and corruption of his best friend and Jedi apprentice Anakin Skywalker turned evil Sith Lord Darth Vader. The series is directed by Deborah Chow, who helmed memorable episodes of The Mandalorian Season 1. This will truly be a day long remembered as it was confirmed that Hayden Christensen will be returning as Darth Vader. This will be the rematch of the century, Kennedy said. It was such an incredible journey playing Anakin Skywalker, said Christensen. Of course, Anakin and Obi-Wan weren't on the greatest of terms when we last saw them. It will be interesting to see what an amazing director like Deborah Chow has in store for us all. I'm excited to work with Ewan again. It feels good to be back. Yeah, so obviously the main headline reveal from the announcement of Obi-Wan Kenobi um, was that Hayden Christensen is back as Darth Vader, so not as Anakin, because I do think that's significant. I reckon they're clearly drawing a distinction there. Um, and yeah, that's obviously a multifaceted reveal. And how do you feel about it, Kirsty? I feel like our feelings are quite complicated. Yeah, I'm excited about the show. I'm actually really looking forward to it. I'm a little nervous. Yes. Um, I think Hayden is so lovely and I, I'm really happy to see him in Star Wars again. Because I think the right director, and I do think Deborah Chow could do this, get you know, a get a great performance out of him, similar to Mark Hamill's in The Last Jedi. Yeah. Um I'm worried because of how the fandom treated him before. And I just don't want that to happen to him again. I'm I'm really worried because this fandom <laughs> could just be so horrible. Mm. Um and then also story wise, um, what does it do to the context? of a new hope if it turns out that Kenobi and Vader have already physically fought. Um, so I, I know that's not the only possibility from what they're saying. Sure. Um, there's a quote from Chow. I think she's, I think they're in the, the clip that they, they showed and um, there have been kind of descriptions of it going around online. There's a quote from her that we have to have Vader if we're doing a Kenobi series, but I'm not sure that's true. I don't think we have to. Mm. Uh, I didn't think he would be in it. And I'm just a bit worried about Vader overshadowing Obi-Wan in his own story. Yes. Um, but there's also the case that it, he will be there as like flashbacks and visions rather than like them physically meeting. I think it would be kind of interesting if he was playing someone haunting Obi-Wan, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I just have to suppress the part of me that's like, why wasn't he in The Rise of Skywalker <laughs> talking to Ben, considering the whole Vader fixation? <laughs> I know he talks to Rey as one of the many Jedi, but um, come on. I'm <laughs> just like, if you could get him back for this, couldn't you have gotten him back for the sequel trilogy too? Yeah, one interesting suggestion I've seen is that potentially Vader and Kenobi, they could be interacting via a force link, kind of like what yeah. Rey and Kylo had, which I yeah. think would be an interesting way of handling that. And I'd much prefer for them to do that sort of metaphysical connection than actually 
have them like physically encounter each other because I feel like that just really deflates a lot of the drama out of that original encounter in the first Star Wars film and I feel like you've got to protect that at all costs you know they need to do something that if it's going to change how we perceive it at all it enhances it rather than taking away from it so I'd like to think that they're going to be acutely aware of the responsibility they have in relation to that and be very, very careful in how they handle it. But time will tell. Mm. This might be a stupid question. Do we have anything in canon right now that like shows Obi-Wan discovering that Vader is definitely Anakin? <sighs> That's a good question. Isn't there that scene in Revenge of the Sith where he's talking to Padme and he basically realises that Anakin has gone dark side? I guess that's not the same as knowing he's Vader though, is it? Well, that's the thing. If he doesn't have the name and as far as he's concerned, he's left for dead on Mustafar. Yeah. When does he realise he survived and he's the guy in the black suit? Yeah. You know? So I'm not sure. No, that's a good point. They have said that the show is set 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. So yeah, like it would be interesting if he spent that whole time thinking that Anakin died and that there's this other dark side user who's serving Palpatine and then through some means he discovers that the dark side user who's serving Palpatine is actually Anakin who survived despite the suffering those horrible wounds I think that would be like a really interesting reveal psychologically because that would almost like re-traumatize you you know because Obi-Wan must have been traumatized originally to have to inflict that sort of awful death because i'm sure he did think it was a death on his friend but then to know that that person didn't die and they've lived in that awful pain and agony for 10 years you know and they've been serving an evil cause for that years i think that would give you some very very complicated and ugly feelings to deal with Mm -hmm. yeah i'm really intrigued by this one yeah so I think there's lots of great potential and obviously Deborah Chow did really great work on the first season of The Mandalorian. I'm very excited to see what she does with it because I feel like she would really be interested in those character moments and find interesting ways to portray them. Oh, I'm just I'm preparing for the emotion. <laughs> it's going to be so sad. No, it needs to be very heavy on the emotion. I must say, I think I would personally prefer for them to have more of Hayden as Anakin rather than as Vader, you know, like in the form of flashbacks and visions. Um, because, yeah, like I think at the very least I'd want to see some of that, you know, as well as the Vader stuff, because that's what Hayden is most known for. You know, he played Anakin, and I know he was Vader very briefly at the end of Revenge of the Sith when they put him in the costume. Well, he's he's also Vader before he goes into the costume. Yes. like at, at, Because... Obi-Wan never saw him in the suit. Maybe when he sees Vader as like a vision or whatever, it will be kind of like Anakin with the red eyes. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, no, that would be really cool. I think it would be a bit pointless to get Aiden back and just stuff him in the suit. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's what I'm going for, really. They need to show his face, you know, otherwise, like, why? Don't just hide him the whole time. We want to see him. I'd be interested to see if there's going to be any mention of Padme. Oh, yes. Because we didn't get any in the sequel trilogy. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> that w- I reckon they might use that as like a stinger, you know? Like they might have like Obi-Wan like really trying to get to Vader in like a heated discussion or argument or something. Like again, if they are doing these me- metaphysical force connection things and he'd mention Padme, you know, and how Anakin betrayed her and let her down and that would completely make Vader lose his shit. That would be a really cool moment. 
yeah, if we're going by the comics, Anakin does not let Padme go just because she died. You right. know, that continues to wound him. So, yeah, I think there's definitely material there. And I would just like to see her acknowledged, please. And I don't mean just as like a throwaway reference, just actually have it matter because she does matter. Yeah. No, she's massively important. And yeah, the more they could do to bring her back into the story and reawaken people's conscience for that character, that would be fantastic. Okay, cool. Then the next one on my list is Lando. The reason I'm particularly interested in this is I think there's potential for them to do like a framing story where you have Billy D as Lando in the framing story basically telling his story to Jana, you know, in the aftermath of the Rise of Skywalker. Because if they do like, actually follow through on what seems to be the intended backstory where Jana is Lando's daughter, then I think that could be a really nice way of doing that. You know, have him like getting to know his daughter and introducing his daughter to his origins and explaining where he came from and the the adventures he went on, all that sort of thing. Is this like a How I Met Your Mother? Yeah, basically, you know, because I would want Jana's mother to be a big part of that show. <laughs> because, yeah, justice for mothers and stars. Do we actually know? Is Jana his kid? I'm still kind of confused on that. We don't have it confirmed. And there have been, like, mixed messages, to say the least, I think. Um, with some people implying... That, it's like, we know that for definite that Lando lost a child, basically. That he had a child that was lost to the Empire, I believe. Um, but it's ambiguous as to whether... Jana is that child. I think it's okay. one point she was certainly meant to be, but they might have backtracked, basically. Okay. Um, but yeah, how do you feel about it, Kirsty? Do you reckon it will be Billy D in a framing story, or do you reckon it would just be Donald Glover? I have no idea. I'm quite surprised they didn't even they didn't even confirm Donald Glover's involvement. No, I'm of the opinion that there's no point of them doing it if Donald Glover isn't involved. It's like, why would you do this? Oh, they could get someone else instead, but he was so good in Solo, wasn't he? Yeah, he would. And I just thought it would give dissonance at this point, you know, if they made a big fanfare of him being the young Lando. So, yeah, I thought they have to go that way. No, I'm looking forward to this because um, I loved Dear White People. I haven't seen the series. I loved the movie. Right. Um, Yeah, and Justin Simeon. Obviously, he's going to be the showrunner, so that's huge. I mean, I know for Solo, they were, like, teasing that Lando is queer. I mean... I don't know how how they feel about that in retrospect. I guess they didn't actually do anything with it in the movie. But if we have a queer black filmmaker involved, I would hope that they would make strides for representation there. Yeah. We'll, kind of, we'll see. Yeah. No, and again, I feel like Justin Simeon is the sort of creator who would bring a really strong sense of authorship to the show, which, again, is exactly what I want. So I want to see more personal storytelling in Star Wars. You know, where people are really like trying to tell a story that isn't just about Star Wars itself. You know, that it's speaking to other things. Because I think that has the potential to be the best stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lando's such a great character and I, I want to see him as the star of something. Yeah, you know? so definitely. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this plans, plays out. Yeah, and I also like it because I feel like this raises potential for the other solo characters to like get there to get comebacks kind of so i wouldn't want to see any of them take over lando's show you know because that would do almost what i feel like the mandalorian has run into you know where it's become less about the mandalorian and more about these guest stars that keep on popping up um 
but you know like if they were able to like reintroduce Kira you know and follow up on her story from the film that would be awesome and then give her her own show because she deserves it um yeah that could be cool yeah I wonder if this is like a sequel to Solo or a prequel Mm. what do you think it's a good question I I reckon it would be like episodes from Lando's life kind of which again is why I'm currently drawn towards the idea of having the framing story and Billy D telling the story about like the adventures and journeys he's been on because I feel mm. like you could literally start off with Lando as a young man leaving home for the first time and pulling his first con or something but you'd probably actually start off a kid Lando to be honest to do that because I think he probably started very young yeah then just following him through life you know and I reckon it would probably go before and then span beyond the events of Solo okay correct me if I'm wrong but from what I remember, in Solo, it's implied that Lando knows Kira separately from knowing yeah. Han, right? Yeah, that's how they find him. Yeah. Kira yeah, is, is aware of him and is kind of talking about him before they meet. Yeah, so that would be like a good storytelling moment they could have. Um, and again, I wouldn't necessarily want them to just tell stories about filling in the gaps from other pieces of Star Wars media because it's not a great look. Um, but yeah, that might be a good jumping off point. Yeah, so next on my list, and this is really high, and I don't think it's quite as high on Kirsty's list, which is fine, but for me it's Visions, um, and we have very little about this, but could you read out what we have, Kirsty? Presenting all new creative takes on the galaxy far, far away, Star Wars Visions will be a series of animated short films celebrating Star Wars through the lens of the world's best anime creators. The anthology collection will bring ten fantastic visions from several of the leading Japanese anime studios, offering a fresh and diverse cultural perspective to Star Wars. Yeah, and I've got to be transparent here about my reasons for placing this so high. I love anime. (laughs) So I love that whole style of animation. And yeah, I think Star Wars anime has the potential to be really cool. And I'm also very intrigued by the potential for what these short films will focus on. Because we have no concept about what era this will be set in, which characters it will follow. Like, this is probably me being too nostalgia-ridden, but I'd kind of like it to be reinterpretations of existing characters and story moments, just told in this different format. Like, I would love to see anime Kylo Ren. I think that's a big part of me breaking this high, so high, to be honest. But yeah, how do you feel about this, Kirsty, and what would you want to see from it? I'm looking forward to it, and it honestly feels like something that's been a long time coming. Really, if you think about the influences on Star Wars, an anime series makes total sense. And I, I'm surprised kind of that we don't really have a full length anime animated series as we, you know, we have all of these series. I guess when they first um, developed Resistance, they were kind of saying that it was anime inspired. And obviously it is more so than the other animated series, but this seems different. Um yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And I'll be very curious to see what the actual stories are about. Because I must say that I think something that was mildly disappointing to both of us is that all of these new projects do seem quite detached from the sequel trilogy stuff. And I don't think they'll totally be. Like, I think that Rangers of the New Republic, there's a very high probability that will go into the origins of the First Order, for example. I think there's something like Visions to touch upon the sequel trilogy characters... And I think that the Lando show might also be post The Rise of Skywalker in its framing device. So I don't think the sequel trilogy will be ignored by any means. 
but it's clear that they're trying to branch out into other kinds of stories and yeah I think one of the things that potentially makes me place hopes on visions is that we might see reinterpretations of some of the sequel stuff but there is literally no evidence to support that and that's just my wish (laughs) so yeah we'll see yeah I'm not surprised but I am bummed about the total lack of sequel era stories Mm. um yeah I'm sure that people are kind of explaining it away as, oh, well, they need to wait and get demand back for that in a few years. Like, they, you know, they did that with the prequels, kind of. Although, of course, we got Clone Wars pretty soon after Avengers of the Sith. But um, I, don't, I just don't know why we have to rely on nostalgia for the demand. Mm, you know, yeah. like, there are kids and plenty of fans who love these characters now. You don't need to convince them that they're good or to be invested by the power of nostalgia because they're actually good characters. The demand is already there. I love that. The power of nostalgia. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's kind of like the natural thing. It's like, oh, well, you have to wait. You have to kind of put it back in the vault so that people care about it again. It's like, but people care about it now. People yeah. love those characters. No, I agree. And I honestly think it would be bonkers if they didn't like tell a story, you know, like about Luke and his temple and the young Ben Solo. Because to me, I think that could be the sort of story that could really transform people's perspective on the sequel trilogy. So obviously I know we both really like those characters in that world but a lot of people are still to be won over and I think something like a prequel series leading up to The Force Awakens that fleshes out those details and gives you more context for the characters and their choices I think that could really give people a fresh perspective on it and yeah that might well be in development but obviously it hasn't been announced here and that bums me out too so yeah we'll see yeah I get what you're saying. I just kind of find it a bit frustrating that the emphasis always has to be on winning people over. I think mm. a large part of that is why we got the Rise of Skywalker <laughs> in the first place. Yes. Like, yeah. If you just trust the audience that you have and you've cultivated through a genuinely good story, of course not everyone's going to gravitate towards it. Lots of people don't like the prequels. Lots of people don't like the originals. But you just you have the audience that you have because you're telling the story that you want to tell and you you tell it with conviction. Yeah, obviously I wouldn't want it to be like a cynical story, you know, just told for the wrong reasons. I'd want it to be a really great, compelling story, first and foremost, that wins people over because it's good, not just because it's ticking off certain boxes, you know. Mm. We'll see whether that manifests in a few years. Um, Okay, God, there's so much to talk about. (laughs) Sorry, I've I've just realised I've been going at it for an hour and there's still like some huge things left to talk about. Um. Okay, so number three for me, and I think perhaps number two for you, Kirsty, is Taika Waititi's film, which we know very little about, but they have given us some new art for the film, which is really cool. It looked very psychedelic, I guess, would be the word I'd use. Um, So yeah, it was very cool looking. Um, We have no idea of plot or anything, but could you read out what the press release said about it, Kirsty? A brand new Star Wars feature with acclaimed filmmaker and Academy Award winner Taika Waititi is in development. Taika's approach to Star Wars will be fresh, unexpected and unique, said Kennedy. (laughs) His enormous talent and sense of humour will ensure that audiences are in for an unforgettable ride. And then, did you want me to read out what Taika put on Instagram? Yes, I definitely want you to read out what he put on Instagram. <laughs> this is hit. This is Taika Waititi reacting to the news about Taika Waititi directing a new Star Wars movie. <laughs> what? Ugh, as a long-time fan of Star Wars, I'm so angry about what I'm about to do to ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I love that because I feel like that appeals strongly to the Ryan Johnson energy of no fucks to give, which I feel is extremely important to any potential Star Wars creative. No, I just, I, I appreciate that level of confidence in, in what they're going to do with it. You know, like you say, it's no fucks given. It's yeah. just, they're going to have fun with it and they're going to tell the story that they want to tell. And obviously it won't be for everyone. They're all too aware of that, but so what? <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. And I I think you need that fearless attitude going into it, you know. Yeah, Taika, I just, I love his sense of humour. I love his movies. I think he's a, he just comes across as this really fun person. And I think he's going to have fun with this. And just the, it's the, the lack of information we have about this one that's making me more intrigued, honestly, because we have that big eye-catching purple, is it pink and blue, um title page uh yes i don't know yeah, 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 yeah that that really interests me because it's such a departure from the star wars template and it kind of reminded me of boba fett in the holiday special that color scheme and i was like sure why not <laughs> i'd love it if that's the um key po- keynote inspiration for this i mean it, it was the same colors i'm telling you I, I went back i googled it afterwards i was like this is reminding me of boba fett so <laughs> maybe it's an animated film who knows anything's possible Maybe. Yeah, it's definitely a cartoony, fun title. So we, we just don't know anything about it. So it's a mystery that I'm like, oh my God, I have to know. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm very, very curious to know like what the focus of the plot will be and yeah, what era it'll be set in. There's just so many question marks and yeah, time will tell. So then my number two, and I think probably Kirsty's number three, is Rogue Squadron, which is, very excitingly, going to be directed by Patty Jenkins. Could you read out what the press release has to say about this one, Kirsty? The next Star Wars feature film will be Rogue Squadron, directed by Patty Jenkins, the Wonder Woman franchise. The story will introduce a new generation of starfighter pilots as they earn their wings and risk their lives in a boundary-pushing, high-speed thrill ride and move the saga into the future era of the galaxy. It's been a lifelong dream as a filmmaker to one day make a great fighter pilot film, said Jenkins. As the daughter of a great fighter pilot myself, some of the best memories of my life were of seeing my father's squadron take off in their F-4s every morning and hearing and feeling the awe-inspiring power and grace. When he passed away in service to this country, it ignited a burning desire to one day channel all of those emotions into one great film. When the perfect story arrived in combination with another true love of mine, the incomparable world of Star Wars, I knew I'd finally found my next film. I'm extremely honoured and excited to take it on and grateful to Lucasfilm, Disney and the fans for extending that thrill to me. Patty has established herself as one of the top directors working in the film industry today, said Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy. She's a visionary who knows how to strike the balance between action and heart and I can't wait to see what she does in the Star Wars galaxy. Lock s in attack position. Rogue Squadron arrives in theatres Christmas 2023. Yeah. So this is hugely exciting because I believe we knew there was a Star Wars film coming in 2023, but we did not know Patty Jenkins was working on a Star Wars film. So this is one of the very few truly shocking announcements, shocking in a good way, <laughs> just want to be clear, to come out of this event. Um, and yeah, I just couldn't be happier because I really love Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman film. I thought she really killed it with that movie and I'm actually really excited to watch it again because I feel like I haven't seen it since cinemas but I remember feeling massively positive about it when I did see it in cinemas and I'm also really excited to see the sequel which is coming out very soon. 
starring Pedro Pascal. Yes, exactly. So all sorts of Star Wars connections, which would be awesome. Um, so yeah, how do you feel about this, Kirsty? Like, what's your level of familiarity with Patty as a filmmaker? I've only seen Wonder Woman. So is it Monster, the other film? Yes, the one with Charlize Theron. Yep. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Um, obviously a very different kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, I know that they did not reference Monster in the press release, so I wonder why. <laughs> Serial killers. <laughs> Particularly a woman killing a string of men. <laughs> that would go down so well with the Star Wars fans. <laughs> I was going to say, in terms of Wonder Woman, I think it's a, I think it's a smart choice. It's also a very safe choice, let's be honest. Mm. You know, as the, as the first female director of a star wars film of course they're going to get someone who's like proven themselves in something close to the genre of star wars yeah right? yeah no of course so that's, yeah and that's what she did wonder woman's a real crowd pleaser of a film and what kennedy says there about the combination of action and heart that's why it appeals to a lot of people because it doesn't shy away from that romance and um yeah it, it's a fun movie and i am looking forward to the sequel as well um i haven't i haven't watched the first one in a long time but maybe i will just before we get to Christmas and, and get the sequel. Yeah. But yeah, there's also several other aspects of this that are worth mentioning. So obviously it's called Rogue Squadron. It's going to be about fighter pilots. I, I think it's safe to say, Kirsty, that for both of us, that's not our favourite aspect of Star Wars. Is that fair? Not so far, but if they tell a story that has some heart to it, as she says, then why not? You know, like it's it's not like it would put me off. No, exactly. And that's where I'm coming at it from, because I'm placing a lot of faith in Patty Jenkins to make me invest in the characters that she's going to tell a story about. And I really hope that all the mains are new characters, to be honest, because I feel like the greater the sense of authorship she can have over the project, the better. Yeah, like I really trust her to really like prioritise having a strong emotional core to the story which is going to be massively important to like making it compelling to me basically because I enjoy action you know and spectacular action is really fantastic to see on a big cinema screen but if I'm going to come away really excited about something and thinking about it and discussing it and feeling moved by it it does really need that strong emotional content that yeah just action scenes alone don't have you need a reason to care about what's going on in the action scenes and I think Patty is this kind of filmmaker who understands that and would really prioritise giving you that sort of investment. Hmm. From this description, do you think there's a chance that this is post The Rise of Skywalker? I do, actually. Yeah, I strongly get that impression. Um, cause they say about it taking stars into the future, don't they? Yeah. I guess what I wonder in relation to that is whether it's like close to the events of the sequel trilogy or if by future era they mean they've like jumped ahead by like 200 300 years or something to the point where ray herself and all her contemporaries are legends in their own right yeah i just i think i'm naturally just more interested in stories that take place in the future based on what we have already seen i don't know why (laughs) no no i think that makes sense like it's such a vast timeline with stars isn't it you know it's like a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and i always think about it as being many thousands of years before whatever the hypothetical present in Star Wars is and yeah like if the sequel trilogy is ancient Greece Rogue Squadron could be ancient Rome you know (laughs) it's completely up to them it's completely arbitrary they can do what they like and that's exciting yeah 
Yeah, so just go into a brand new era. Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, also just when they don't have the constraints, you know, of having to yeah. like work too much around other stuff. I think that's really exactly. freeing, you know, because it's not as much about filling gaps or ticking things off. It's really just about, I want to tell a story. Here's a canvas on which to tell that story. And that's exciting. Yeah, I think that comes back to what we were saying earlier about like, yeah, by all means, tell a story in the Star Wars galaxy, but it doesn't have to be beholden to all of the other Star Wars stuff. Like, just just make a great movie. So hopefully that's what they're doing. Yep, definitely. So I feel very pleased about this. And yeah, I'm excited to watch Wonder Woman 1984. This is a small point. And tell me if I'm being silly. Mm -hmm. Do you not think that some people might get confused and think this is a sequel to Rogue One? (laughs) I'm sure some people will and I'm sure there will also be lots of people very disappointed that it's not a direct adaptation of the books I feel like there's an EU book called Rogue Squadron or maybe even a series of books I think there's there's the X-Wing series yeah no exactly and I do think some people thought it was going to be a direct connection to that and since this announcement Patty Jenkins has I think she spoke to IGN and she specifically told them it's not an adaptation by any means it's like an original story which is music to my ears that makes me very happy but yeah I'm sorry for the people who might have got excited on the basis of the title yeah I think it's good to set those expectations early yeah exactly I'm sure there'll be references and I don't mind references as long as they're small and they don't distract from the story I don't know anything about those books so if they put them in there I'll be none the wiser (laughs) yeah exactly it'd be funny if they have like meaningful cameo from book character and there's like a meaningful frame in for them and I'm like don't know who that is but cool good for you (laughs) (laughs) um okay then number one for me and would you say it's number one for you Kirsty? I think so okay it's Acolyte and we've both been excited about this for a while because it's previously been known as Untitled Leslie Headland Project again is this Acolyte or The Acolyte it is called The Acolyte I believe okay alright Okay. But yeah, it now has a name, which is The Acolyte, and it sounds awesome. Could you read out the brief description of it, Kirsty? Mm-hmm. Leslie Headland, Emmy Award-nominated creator of the mind-bending series Russian Doll, brings a new Star Wars series to Disney Plus with The Acolyte. The Acolyte is a mystery thriller that will take the audience into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. Oh, it sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, it's just exactly what I want. It's about dark side users. That's a jump, you know, it doesn't explicitly say this is a show about dark side users. But I feel like it's not a wild suggestion. You'd expect them to make an appearance. Yes, exactly. I feel like they're going to be important. Again, I might be like jumping too fast and very excited about this show. But for me, Acolyte, that's a Sith Acolyte. So I really think that might well be what we're seeing you know the the journey of someone who's like training to be a Sith you know and mm. learning about all the arcane secrets of that cult and yeah. I think that sounds amazing yeah please just give us queer coded dark side women yes. like <laughs> the High Republic is suddenly a lot more intriguing yes oh my god yeah I'm so excited to read the books now it's like don't be wrong I was interested before especially in Claudia Gray's book you know because I've really enjoyed what she's written previously. But for the most part, I was kind of like, ah, sounds cool, but I'm not quite understanding what they're going for with this. 
and now it all makes much more sense that it's the backdrop to this big new series that they're working on because yeah I think that has the potential to be a really cool merging of the publishing side and the live action side especially mm. with someone like Leslie Headland involved because yeah Russian Doll kicks ass it's so good Okay, I don't know anything about those books or anything about the characters, so this is completely wild speculation, but what if one of those Jedi characters that are like featured in the books turns out to be one of these Darksiders in the series? Oh, that'd be like, so what good. If they, what if they fall to the dark side throughout the story and then we follow them here? Oh, that would be amazing. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh it's got to connect somehow, presumably. I mean, maybe not, but just the fact that it's in that era and you have this book series about to come out i mean yeah no Mm. i think that would make a lot of sense to be honest and it would also make reading the books feel very rewarding and i'm sure the books will be like good and entertaining in their own right you know but that this the live action stuff always feels more important than the book stuff you know (laughs) and i feel me saying that to us yeah to us to us you know that there are people where the star wars books are very important high priority level canon their own right but yeah for me it's all about that live action baby and yeah i'll be scouring the books for clues so that'll be a fun journey um and also most importantly i feel like leslie headland a big priority for her as character you know and exploring the like emotional truth of characters and their psychologies and that's something that a lot of stars isn't particularly interested in and yeah i feel like i can trust someone like her to be really engaged with that and to not set that aside just because it stalls you know so i have high expectations maybe a bit too high you know so i'm placing a lot of hype on this project and leslie's shoulders specifically but yeah it all sounds really great to me yeah and her work is so sharp and funny everything i say ends up sounding like a dig to existing current styles (laughs) But I'm just, I'm looking forward to some really great writing in Star Wars. Yeah, same. I guess we don't, she's the showrunner, but we don't know the the writing team that she's working with yet. Actually, they haven't announced really any writers, have they, for these series? They've announced showrunners and directors, but not writers? Yeah, I think that's true for the most part. Oh, wait, the Taika Waititi one, is he still working with, is it Christy Cairns Wilson? Yeah, I feel like they don't specifically say that in the latest press release, but... I assume she's still working on it with oh, him. Christy Wilson cans. Yes. Okay, yeah. No, so lots and lots of reasons to be hyped by the acolyte, basically. And yeah, I hope that the agony of the earlier part of that discussion where it was like a lot of bitching about the Mandalorian and people associated with the Mandalorian was redeemed by the escalating hype. Because yeah, like there's obviously projects in this announcement that I'm not thrilled about. But there are also other projects I'm very excited for. And I think the most important thing is variety. And I do see genuine variety in these announcements. So, yeah, I see promise for the future of Star Wars in this announcement, basically. Yeah, so I feel good about it. How about you, Kirsty? Me, Yeah, me too. Um, I'm, I just want to know more now. <laughs> Trying to be patient. Exactly. Hope we don't need to wait years and years for the Acolyte to actually become real, but we'll see. Um, oh, and also, I just quickly want to mention that we're getting an, a Willow series, which sounds awesome. It's got Erin Kellyman in it, who was an Enfys Nest in the Solo movie. 
And I think there's going to be not one, not two, but three female leads, if you can get your head around that. So it's like positively mind-blowing. Um, and yeah, like I won't go into the details because this is the Star Wars podcast, not the Willow podcast. But <laughs> it sounds really cool. And I'm also very excited for that announcement. So yeah, lots of stuff to look forward to. All right. Okay. So after that long discussion, <laughs> let's move into a brief final discussion of the latest Mandalorian episode, which is chapter 15, The Believer. Um, yeah. So what's your overall thoughts on this episode, Kirsty? Um, I think it's my second favourite episode of the season. Oh, awesome. But, cool. but with some obvious drawbacks. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. So second only to the masterpiece known as The Passenger, right? Yes. I'm sorry. That's the, uh, that's. I think that might be my favourite. I mean, I don't know, but we'll we'll see based on the finale. But I just <laughs> love that episode and its weirdness so yeah. much. I love The um, Passenger. I showed it to my dad today and oh, it was really cute. He loved it as well. It was nice to see him like really get into the show through that because I was like, yeah, I'm your daughter. Like dad responds to the same weird shit that I do. This is great. It just felt really good to show him that. So yeah, yeah, and it, it's quite shocking for this one, I guess, to have an episode that I like so much without any Baby Yoda. Yes, but, that's um, true. Yeah, I I think this episode is so different from the Passenger, obviously. But I think what I like about the both of them is that they're it, they're kind of like just focused on the story itself, and they're not about like introducing the cameo characters and having these big entrances. It's just about the story that they're telling, whatever it is. Yeah. And of course, we get Pedro Pascal's face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, I, yeah, I just, I'm so glad that they, they unmasked him again. And I, I thought that was handled really well. Yeah. No, that was really well done. I also want to say that Bill Burr came back as Mayfeld in this episode. And honestly, he was a character I barely remembered from the first season. He was like one of the criminals who ended up in jail, basically. He really sold me on the character, I must say, in this episode. And. I feel like the writing of that character was particularly good as well. I felt like I was watching like actual TV rather than, you know, just Star Wars TV. <laughs> when like seeing his lines and stuff, you know, he was like well fleshed out as a character and I thought he served as a good foil to the Mandalorian. So, yeah, I thought that was a good inclusion. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they brought him back for this because at first glance the character is obviously so different from what we know about him in ep- in chapter 6. Yeah, he goes on this, I guess you could call it a redemption arc of some kind. Yeah. Right? No, very much. Yeah, kind of reminded me of Finn in some ways. Yeah. Of like defecting and then the way that he talks to Mando as they're driving along is is also kind of reminiscent of DJ in The Last Jedi. You know, good guys, bad guys, they're made up words. Like we're all the same, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was exploring some some themes that I think are quite reminiscent of what we explore in the in the sequel trilogy um and just kind of doing it in a slightly different way yeah it was really well done and it also delighted me as a fan of the like old-fashioned french filmmaker henry georges Clouseau, who made an excellent string of films in the 40s and 50s and 60s actually um he made a very famous film called the wages of fear have you seen it kirsty no is really good. I'll try and set you up for a link later. Um, okay. But yeah, basically it's set in a unnamed South American country and it's basically a bunch of 
people who are like isolated from the rest of society and they're desperate and they take on a mission to drive a truck through a rough landscape like so that it reaches a refinery and the truck is loaded with unstable fuel and could spark and explode at the slightest like trigger essentially so it's an extremely tense film because you know the people you're watching could get blown up at any moment <laughs> um and yeah it this episode was a very clear riff on the wages of fear basically and they, they make it clear what the stakes are because there's a scene where they're driving the truck and they show you some charred vehicles on the side of the road and it's like oh okay that's what could happen um but yeah it was nice to see a star wars project drawing on a non-standard reference point you know because that's not like the samurai films and stuff that star wars is famous for drawing on it reminded me again of what ryan johnson did where he drew on classic cinema for his inspiration but not necessarily the same cinema that george lucas referenced so yeah i Mm -hmm. thought that was really cool I've seen another reference floating around to a movie called Sorcerer. Have you seen that? Yes. So Sorcerer is a remake of Wages of Fear. So okay. So that came out the around the time of Star Wars, right? Yes, and that's obviously, right. obviously suffered because of that. Um. <laughs> yes. I feel like the director of Sorcerer it has gone on record as being like, people only wanted to see the Star Wars movies. <laughs> which yeah is sad but probably true about the audience's tastes um but yeah there's so lots of cool influences at work um and yeah um let's see yeah so with Mayfeld I actually transcribed his dialogue because I thought it was so interesting and I've also Mm -hmm. got to praise the script writing because I believe this episode was written by Rick Famuyiwa as well as directed by him and I think it really shows, you know, he's a very talented guy and and it just resulted in a really quality script. So yeah, I have, yeah, Empire, New Republic, it's all the same to these people. Invaders on their land is all we are. I'm just saying, somewhere, someone in this galaxy is ruling and others are being ruled. I mean, look at your race. Do you think all those people who died in wars fought by Mandalorians actually had a choice? So how are they any different from the Empire? Look, if you're born on Mandalore, you believe one thing. If you're born on Alderaan, you believe something else. But guess what? Neither one of them exists anymore. Hey, I'm just a realist. Just a survivor. Just like you. So yeah, that's my little acting performance for tonight. Um, and, <laughs> and then, of course, Mando has to reply in that classic, I'm not anything like you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you know where it's going. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, sweetheart, you should see what you're setting yourself up for by saying that. It's quite cute. <laughs> Because, yeah, like, they do have a nice transformation in their relationship because, obviously, Mando's very, like, principled and honourable and he doesn't consider himself anything like this mere criminal. But then, like, Mayfeld actually comes through and really helps him, like, later on when he's in a pickle um, on the Imperial base. And, yeah, like, just seeing that scene where Mando is in that tight spot and he realises he really does have no choice but to take the helmet off. That was really powerful. And it's also prefigured by lots and lots of baiting from Mayfeld about the whole helmet wearing. Um, so yeah, could you read out the quote I have about the mask wearing from Mayfeld, Kirsty? Look at you. You said you couldn't take your helmet off and now you've got a stormtrooper one on. So what's the rule? Is it that you can't take off your Mando helmet or you can't show your face? Because there's a difference. Look, I'm just saying we're all the same. Everyone's got their lines they don't cross till things get messy. As far as I'm concerned, if you can make it through the day and still sleep at night, you're doing better than most. Yeah, 
And I was so happy when that line came because I was like, oh, thank God, all these teases to mask Square in throughout the whole season, they were actually in service of something. <laughs> you know, I didn't want them to just be empty teases, you know? And yeah, this episode just felt like a fulfillment of lots of build up. It's interesting that they're even going to this point where you're like comparing Mando or someone like Mayfeld and that he is coming across as like the honourable principled one because we know that that's not Mando's past. The whole point when we get to chapter six is that he used to work with these people. This used to be his life. (laughs) Yes. Even as they open season two of the first episode, he's doing something pretty brutal. Yeah. He's probably telling himself it's for the right reasons. But there was a lot in this episode that kind of reminded me that while we're following these people, and of course primarily Din, as the heroes, they're not necessarily heroes. Yeah. Like that, you know, they they kill those people who they call pirates, but they're not actually pirates. They're people trying to destroy the Empire's fuel. Yeah. I feel like there's lots of false pride at work in the Mandalorian, basically. And yeah, it was interesting to see him be challenged like that. Because I feel like sometimes you do get the impression you're meant to just take things at face value in the show. And this was one of the episodes where it really did dig a bit deeper into the mor- into the morality of things, you know, in almost the hypocrisy sometimes of how ca- characters act and behave towards other people. Yeah, it, it was just surprisingly mature, you know, it felt like really good, solid character stuff. So I really welcome that. Yeah, it was really good to see Din start to grapple with what Bo-Katan had like made him aware of. Um it's obviously it's not it's not explicit. He doesn't say much about it, but Mayfeld does. And, you know, the fact that he even puts on that trooper's helmet and suit in the first place is this huge deal. And it is kind of the the center of the episode that like where will your where will you make the choices to cross those boundaries that you thought that you had? And this this is a boundary that he's never crossed in his life. Yeah. Like you really feel it when he when he does finally take that off that helmet off. This is the first time people are seeing his face as an adult. Yeah. It's yeah. And you can you can see how afraid he is. It's really powerfully done. Yeah. There was a really great performance from Pedro. Um it's like it was also quite shocking because I kind of like forget he's under there sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's oh my god, it's Pedro Pascal. How how pleasant, how surprising. Um and yeah, he just had this really like tremulous quality to him you know like this frightened child kind of who is almost like in shock the whole time he has the mask off you know like he's not properly processing anything that's going on around him because it's just such a alien wrong thing for him to be doing you know that he's not completely processing his surroundings or anything you know he's almost struck dumb when that imperial confronts him and obviously that's when Mayfeld steps up and helps him. Uh, wasn't that Imperial fantastic, by the way? Oh, he was great, yeah. He was so good. He's called Valin Hess. And I'm honestly sad he died because he had <laughs> so much presence and just such like a strong, malevolent energy. I would love to have seen that type of character as like a recurring villain. But yeah, it wasn't to be. Very creepy. Uh, mostly this episode just really drove home for me how sad I am for Din. <laughs> but mm. he's lived his life without, you know, feeling the sun on his face, exchanging smiles with people, yeah. like connecting to humanity in that way. The fact that Mayfell calls him brown eyes when nobody has known that he has brown eyes since he was a child, like that really stood out to me. It was quite gutting. Yeah, it is really poignant. Happy. <laughs> I really hope that after this he realizes that 
it's not like he imploded when he took the helmet off, you know, it's not like he was struck by lightning from on high. Like it didn't have these like dire consequences he might have imagined it would. Like mm-hmm. in that it really is the start of this gradual process where he can take the mask off and actually feel comfortable about it. Because yeah, like you say, Kirsty, it was honestly quite sad to watch him because he was clearly suffering the whole time he had that thing off, you know, he couldn't wait to put it back on. That's like, but sweetie, you look so good without the mask. <laughs> You should take it off all the time. <laughs> yeah, like now he's shown his face, he probably does have this sense of like never being able to go home. But where is that now? You know? Yeah. He lost his ship, he's lost the Evermandos. His home now is Grogu. Mm. And at, in that final scene, obviously, we see him finally being comfortable acknowledging and expressing that love to himself and others, even the enemy. Yeah. Like, you know, the way he uses Gideon's words against him. It's like, oh, wow. But yeah, this is him expressing his love for Grogu. He's, he's coming after him. Yeah. And I also thought it was like really powerful because obviously he's saying you'll never know how much he means to me and stuff. So I think it's not quite made explicit, but we're really meant to see him as seeing himself in that child. You know, like it's a very, mm. very personal thing for him about how he was like so vulnerable and helpless when he was a child and then the Mandalorians helped him, and now he wants to be that person who helps a, a new child, you know, and keeps them safe. So, yeah, I think it's very much about his own feelings of vulnerability and wanting to make sure no one else has to go through that again. Or at least Grogu doesn't have to go through that again, because, yeah, it's not realistic to keep everyone from feeling vulnerable. Um, but, yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was very yeah. sweet. It was also funny to me to see um, Fennec and Boba in this episode, but they're basically like background characters where they're just like standing around and they do get a few lines each and like Fennec gets to shoot a few things. But yeah, they're just like there basically. And yeah, it was funny. I was a bit bummed about that because I was like, why is Gina getting so many lines and Fennec has so few? (laughs) It was painful. Yeah, it was unjust. That's the word for it, unjust. (laughs) You had this scene where they're you know they're on slave one which is actually quite cool that you can see the ship kind of rotating as they get inside because that's a pretty unique design isn't it yeah um oh shout out to boba's new paint job oh yeah no it looks slick wow (laughs) when did they have the time to do that (laughs) where's the animated short about cleaning boba's armor who did that like um we need to go and get the child yeah yeah first things first (laughs) i really need to get my armor fixed I reckon, I'll tell you what my theory is. I reckon on Slave 1, Boba had like an armor care kit and it's just Aww. been there for like, well, how long has it been? For? Yeah, five years, I guess. And it's just been sitting there and it was finally its moment. You know, it could come yeah. in and could buff up the armor and just make it look wonderful. So yeah, it's really Yeah, good. it was nice to see that he'd taken pride in it again. It was just nice to see him back in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He had a bit less of a dad bod this time. It was certainly less noticeable anyway. <laughs> you just had that scene where they're on the ship and Cara Dune has all these lines she's talking to Mayfeld and I kind of get why of course she has to be the one talking about this stuff because she's the marshal but then also you've just got you've got Ming-Na Wen and you've got masked Pedro Pascal there and I'm like they're the talented actors that you have here but they're not getting any of the dialogue (laughs) I don't know I just found it a strange choice yeah no. It wasn't like the writing itself was bad. It's just like who you choose. I don't know if Rick Famuyiwa wasn't familiar with Gina Carano. 
because he, you know, she was in episodes that he didn't direct last season. But I was like, oh, she cannot carry this stuff. Yeah, no, it was kind of painful to watch, to be honest, for that reason. Um, but luckily, she is relatively unimportant, to be honest. She's there too much at the beginning, but then she kind of fades from it. So, yeah, I just kind of erase her from my memory of it, which is sad. You shouldn't have to do that about a character in a TV show, especially kind of a significant character. But yeah, Regina, that's kind of how I personally have to approach it. Mm. What did you think about the action scenes? I thought they were really well done. Like, again, it's never like my jam in Star Wars. You know, I'm not a huge action person, but it was all effective. Um, I think my most notable observation about the like bandit attack scene, you know, where the bandits like try to get into the truck, I guess, um, is the resolution to it. You know, when the truck pulls into the Imperial base and everyone's like cheering and like... <laughs> They're almost like on the verge of high-fiving, you know, they're just like so hyped that the truck got through. Um, and I was like, wow, this is really interesting to see that like positive spin on Imperials. You know, they're just people being happy about their side, getting a well-needed victory. Um, and yeah, so that's what stood out to me. Yeah, you can see Mayfeld's uneasiness at that point, right? Like, oh, I guess I'm happy to see the stormtroopers, but um, all those people just died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're delivering weapons so that they can kill more people um and of course yeah. that's probably part of why he chooses to blow the base up at the end um i did think that it went on a bit long like you had like a lot of those groups of what they call them pirates but they really weren't yeah um, coming along but uh mando got plenty of practice fighting with the staff so that you know that makes sense if we're going into next week with his best car staff exactly it's gonna have a big showdown with um gideon so that'll be jolly good fun. Although it's going to be interesting because obviously um, Giancarlo has um, said that he's going to be coming back in the next season. So I think we can safely say that even if there is that big duel, you know, with Darksaber versus Spear, he's not going to die, you know. Yeah, he's maybe Kim someone Indek. just manages to escape. Yeah, maybe he like yeah, severs but... a limb or something in classic Star Wars fashion. The action was so different in style from last week's from Rodriguez. But it felt much more grounded and it kind of emphasised how tired and vulnerable Din was without his Beskar. Because you can tell he must rely on that because he's worn it his entire life. Yeah. Right? Like, he, he relies on that to fight. But here he's just wearing regular Stormtrooper armour and we all know that's not very good. <laughs> no, he's just so out of his comfort zone. It's, yeah, bless him. He's very painful to watch sometimes. Yeah, I thought Pedro did a really great performance there and I hope... <sighs> Because it was so good. It was like, I want to see more of this. And Same. I'm glad that it like built it up. And it was this huge moment for him to do that. And he was pushed into it, actually. So when, you know, we've said before, like, oh, well, I hope he takes the helmet off when he's ready. It's not that he was ready. It's that he was forced to make this decision and he wants to get the child back. So he, he made this sacrifice. Exactly. And you can't really overstate how much of a sacrifice that was for him. Because this was, you know, his, his life's central belief that if he took that off he couldn't be a Mandalorian anymore yeah no so there was a line from Mayfeld about everyone like having a line you know that they say they'll never cross until they do and obviously the not taking the mask off thing is the line for the Mandalorian and yeah I think it's just testament to what the child means to him the fact that that mask comes off when the alternative is not finding this information that will help him track the child down. 
I really appreciated as well how Mayfeld went from kind of mocking him for that supposed hypocrisy at the beginning. And then when he actually did do it, he he recognized and understood the magnitude of that choice. Yeah. And, you know, he said, like, I didn't see your face. No one will have to know. Yeah. He showed a real kindness there. Exactly. Yeah. It was impressive, really, how much character development they packed in for Mayfeld across the episode. Because he really does transform across the events. And I was honestly really pleased that they let him go at the end. I was somewhat conflicted about what Mayfeld's going to do on that planet. It doesn't look like it has so much infrastructure or means to get off. But I'm sure he'll find a way. Drop him off somewhere a bit more convenient. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, well, thanks, but no thanks. (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of funny. Or take him along for the rest of the mission. (laughs) Yeah, he's clearly useful. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I guess it was Kara behind it so she wouldn't think like that would she I mean they were, they were promising at the beginning to take him back to prison so <laughs> yeah it's an improvement on that which didn't, didn't you think that beginning like when they find him there it reminded me of like what they'd originally conceived Jakku to look like yeah yeah no you're right like a big junkyard wasn't it yeah like much more industrial and, and Ray to kind of look a bit more industrial and like cyberpunk and stuff yeah it wouldn't surprise me if they went back to like discarded concepts from force awakens as a starting point for that because they produce mammoth amounts of wonderful art for the sequel trilogy and yeah it's a shame to let any of those good ideas go to waste yeah it was quite striking and i I just liked that when mayfeld realized who was there he was suitably scared of Mando and again it was a good reminder that Mando is not necessarily like a objectively good guy he's a good guy in our eyes because we're following his story but he's he's pretty brutal yep 100% when he wants to be (laughs) I guess is the point of this episode otherwise he's a vulnerable little lamb (laughs) yeah I just I don't know I I guess um I don't know that unmasking trope of emotionally vulnerable people (laughs) that's got to be one of my favorite star wars tropes at this point same yeah take it off take it all off (laughs) sorry but yeah no it was a good episode and yeah rick famiua needs to direct and what and write more episodes of the mandalorian because this is the sort of show the mandalorian can be when it's really good you know when it's a show that's actually about the mandalorian (laughs) So I think that's the key thing, like what you said earlier, Kirsty, about it not just being a spotlight for like guest star of the week. You know, so obviously we did have Bill Burr and he played a significant part, but all of his role in this was about furthering the story of Din, you know, and about driving him along his journey. And I feel that mm-hmm. hasn't always been the case for the other big side characters they've introduced in the episodes of the second season. So, yeah, I feel like this episode showed how to do it well. Yeah, I think sometimes there's an attempt at that. It's just in terms of how well we think it's executed. Yes. Um, and I thought they just had some nice little hints here at like of of that larger worldview. Like when Valen Hess is talking about, um, he's doing that monologue about what people want from a political system. Yeah. Um, everyone thinks they want freedom. What they really want is order. It's like, mm. oh yeah, we know that the first order is out there already building. These Imperials don't know that. But it, yeah, it does kind of foreshadow that coming fall of the New Republic already. Doesn't last for long. Yeah, no, exactly. Democracy is a fragile thing. 
So yeah, that's my profound closing statement. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, really liked the episode, and I'm excited for the finale next week. So yeah, bring it on. Yeah, I I hope that the finale now lives up to this because this kind of, and I think you said it earlier, it kind of shows what this show can be. Mm. And I I wonder if this is like not up there in some people's rankings because there have been such an emphasis on all of these other characters coming in and like all of these crazier episodes, but this one like has these themes that it wants to explore and it does that pretty well and has interesting things to say and like questions to ask. Um, but that might not be to everyone's taste. So I really feel like it's been a mixed bag. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what note it falls on for the finale. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I feel like there's a lot of potential for the finale to be, less appealing to my personal storytelling preferences because obviously it's going to be a climactic episode and I think there's potential for lots of action and stuff you know which again I can enjoy it but I prefer it when it's not like the complete center point you know um but yeah we'll see if they can build on the character work that we got in this episode even more you know and take Din to fresh places I will be really pleased and satisfied so yeah fingers crossed I mean, I think they could. There's all these little threads here that they could pick up if they're like following the story that's established here in terms of going into the finale and the now the Empire has a record of Din's face. I mean, I guess yeah, I don't know true. how the equivalent of their internet works if when they explode <laughs> the base, yes. that record vanishes. Yeah. But Do they have the cloud in Star Wars? That is the question. If they sent it off somewhere. <laughs> yes. But... It, equally that could be a thread that just never gets developed so um I, I i hope that the unmasking continues and we kind of get that payoff with grogu yeah um especially if he's like continuing to go down his dark side path yeah <laughs> should i tell you what my favorite dream ending for the second season would be sure is this like a prediction or is it just speculation it's like a speculation um well it's, okay, it's not so... even speculation really so i have no idea if it will happen but it's what i'd like to happen so okay. mando slash din goes into the cell where baby yoda is being held sees the child pauses takes off the helmet leans down so he's at the child's level gives him a big smile and pulls him into a big hug you know takes off the mask by choice shows the child his face I would love that. It would be very soppy, but yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> Do you think Din has a a chance of being pretty dangerously wounded and maybe Baby Yoda has to heal him? Oh my god. Yeah, that that's very true. So I do think the Darksaber could do a lot of damage. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've, I'd say that's very possible. Yeah. And again, that would be yeah. a really great moment. So yeah, hopefully we'll yeah. see that. I'm just kind of curious to see if we end up um, seeing Bo-Katan again. Yeah, Obviously the Darksaber will be in play. Yeah, because she's one of the guest stars to come into this season from another part of canon that I feel like is an organic part of Din's story. You know, so I think going forward, hopefully characters like... If Carol remains a character in these shows, I think she'd probably be shuffled off to Rangers of the New Republic and be less of a feature in The Mandalorian, which to me would be a good thing, to be honest, because then, you know, you just don't need to think about her. Well, she doesn't seem to have anything further to offer Din in terms of, like, his development. Yeah, no, exactly, which I think is a good storytelling reason to move her, you know, aside from... Any feelings about Gina's acting or what Gina's done in real life and stuff, like it, 
it does feel like she's served her purpose in relation to Mando's story now. So, yeah, I think there's much greater possibilities if they retire some of those characters and focus on, like, the other Mandalorian cultures, you know, and make that Din story. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and that's why I think Boba Fett works pretty well. Like, I I get why some people would roll their eyes about it, and I am to an extent, but in terms of how it's actually been woven in, the fact that they're using him as a parallel to Din's story as a foundling, I think that works. Yeah. So, and then same with Bo-Katan. Like, they, they feed into that core element of the show where it's Din trying to figure out how he feels about being a Mandalorian and, and what that even means to him these days. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's all about how it's done. Exactly. So, yeah, we have good feelings about this episode and we will look forward to next time and we'll be here to discuss it as always. Um, But, yeah, I feel like that's everything, Kirsty. Well, I mean, there's lots of things that we haven't really gone into much detail on, but we had so much other stuff to discuss for this episode. But, yeah, definitely one of the episodes of this season that I've enjoyed more. Exactly, yeah. So big kudos and thank you to Rick Famuyiwa for making such a good episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so let's round it off. I'm Rachel and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye! Bye! Bye!